Hi, and welcome to Chatting Lit, a podcast about books, reading, and all things related. I'm your host, Dave Morris. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, welcome to another episode of Chatting Lit. Thanks for listening wherever you're tuning in from. I hope you're all doing well. Um, hope you're having a good summer if you live in the southern hemisphere and I hope if you, like me, live in, in the northern hemisphere that the winter is not too bad for you. Uh, so today's episode is one that I hope listeners are really going to enjoy. It involves some uh, real-time translation. We're going to be talking about the book Ultramarine by uh, Mariette Navarro, and which is translated by Corey Stockwell and came out on Louise Press earlier this year. Uh, I just want to take the time to apologise to Mariette, Corey and Ina from Eloise Press because it's taken a long, long time to get this up. I'm really sorry, guys. Um, yeah, the, the podcast has kind of taken a bit of a, a backseat in recent months due to just various sort of things going on. But yeah, apologies to those guys. Um, but hopefully listening to it now, uh, if they do, they'll enjoy it. And I hope you guys do as well because it was a really, really fun experience recording it with them. Um, so yeah, just in terms of, you know, reads what I've read since the last episode, which was in August, so, you know, a bit of, a bit of time ago. Uh, so I read a couple of football books, actually, you know, um, if you are a, a listener of past episodes, you'll remember I interviewed Chris Lee, the author of The Defiant, um, and since then I've read um, Ultra, which is The Underworld of Italian Football by Tobias Jones, uh, The Roaring Red Front, about the world's top left-wing football clubs by um, Stuart McGill and Vincent Raisin. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, in between that, Shy by Max Porter, big, big fan of Lanny, and I actually went to see him do a sort of live performance of Shy for the Manchester Literature Festival. Uh, three, one, sorry, 1312 by James Montague among the ultras. 1312 is the numerical equivalent of ACAB, All Cops of Bastards. Uh, that was a really good book. Um, probably the best thing I've read um, since last episode has been The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, which is the first in the Wayfarer series, and I absolutely love this book. Can't wait to read the other books from that series. Um, it's sci-fi, but it's more about personalities and, and sort of, you know, um, I guess it covers a lot of themes about gender and racism and, and sexuality and stuff like that, but it does so through having sort of different species and things like that. Uh, the world building is fantastic, yet not overly heavy, and it's just a great book. Uh, also read recently tonight, It's a World We Bury, Black Metal and Red Politics by Bill Peel, which is a kind of look at how black metal, if you know what I'm on about, um, can be potential. well, some of its ideas and themes could be utilised in left-wing politics. And then probably for those listening who are into the fiction, which you know most of you are, uh, I just finished Assembly by Natasha Brown recently, which is a fantastic novella. You can read it in about a couple of hours and it looks at um the sort of intersections between class ethnicity gender uh, and things like that in in britain in this day and age so yeah fantastic fantastic book anyway like i said this episode uh, involves some live well it did involve live translation when we recorded it just to let you know there's a, a sort of clicking noise that comes onto uh one of the audio channels it's Corey's channel at some point i, I don't know what happened I've, i tried to cut it out as much as possible but apologies that i couldn't quite get rid of all of it uh but yeah other than that i hope you enjoyed the episode and thanks for listening cheers hi uh Welcome to Corey Stockwell. I'm Mariette Navarro, uh, translator and author. I kind of probably should have done that the other way around. Uh, of uh, Ultramarine, which is out soon from Eloise Press. Uh, really uh, happy to have you both on Chatting Lit today. Thank you both for agreeing to to come on the show and giving up your time to speak to me. Uh, really enjoyed the book when I read it. So as we were just saying before we started recording that I was sent an advanced copy. Um, I think it was about two months ago and really, really enjoyed it. So we're going to be talking about the book today, uh, the the process of translating it, how it was created by Mariette and things like this. But the first things I always like to ask my guests on the show is what are you currently reading? So don't know, Mariette, if you want to um, go first. I'm finishing um, a French book uh, of an, an African author who's called uh, Cosi Efui. Okay. And is, is it good? Yes, yeah, very good. Very um, uh, moving <laughs> about uh, his childhood in Togo. Oh, brilliant. And Corey, how about you? I'm reading uh, Iris Murdoch. 
The Sea, The Sea. Ah, I've, I've never read that. It's a name I've heard and ha- have yet to check out. Yeah, it's the one that won the Booker, and I'm I'm only about 30 pages in of like 400 or something. But yeah, yeah, it's great. Oh, fantastic. Um, so the first thing I'd like to ask, and um, just for listeners, we might have some kind of on-air translation going on with this, is how did the book come about? Because I believe, uh, Mariette, it says in the book you spent some time uh, on a ship, which the the book is set in. So yeah, how did the how did the book kind of come into being? Uh, I'm answering in French, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, ce livre est né d'une résidence d'écriture sur un cargo de marchandises. En fait, uh, on nous a proposé à six auteurs d'embarquer à bord d'un cargo et de traverser l'Atlantique en 2012. So the the book was born from a writer's residency on a cargo ship, like on a, a... A commercial freighter, and there were six writers, and they they uh, spent uh, how, how long, Marriott? Combien de temps vous avez passé? Trois semaines à peu près. So three weeks on board. Uh, wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Mais le, j'avais pas l'idée d'écrire ce livre pendant cette traversée. Le livre est sorti neuf ans plus tard, donc c'est vraiment euh, les notes. Euh, du voyage qui ont ensuite mis du temps à devenir le, le roman. So she didn't she wasn't thinking of writing this novel during that residency. She only wrote it nine years later and she went back on her notes that had just been germinating basically. Oh okay. So how what gave you what you know so as Corey said it was nine years uh, from being on the you know the, going on this boat to writing the the book. So was there anything in particular that made you return to your notes after such a long period of time? Uh, en fait, les, je l'ai repris régulièrement et pour chercher une forme parce que j'avais des fragments qui pouvaient être comme des poèmes. Uh, moi, normalement, je suis plutôt uh, auteur de théâtre et je, je cherchais comment faire une pièce de théâtre avec ça, mais ça fonctionnait pas du tout. Il y avait trop de silence dans cette histoire, ça marchait pas au théâtre. Euh, alors, je, je l'ai comme ça, je l'ai pris, je l'ai laissé, et ça, ça, voilà, ça a mis du temps, mais parce que j'ai écrit d'autres textes aussi en même temps. She would go back to them regularly, trying to find a form for them, uh, maybe a poetic one. She normally writes for the theater, and she was trying to find a, uh, maybe turn these notes into a play, but it wouldn't come. There was too much silence, and um, and yeah, so the, and j'ai oublié ce que vous avez dit à la fin. Euh, oui, je, je l'ai laissé et repris ouais, régulièrement ouais. en fait ce livre, et je l'ai terminé pendant le confinement. Je pense que c'était le bon moment pour passer à autre chose. Yeah, she just let it do what it would do, right in her mind as she waited for it, and she finished it during lockdown, which was the right moment to finish. Okay, interesting. Um, out of interest, when you went on the boat, you were there for three weeks. Um, because the the characters in the book have quite a deep affinity for the sea, you know, um, the captain and and all, all the crew. Um, did it sort of really did it change your perspective of of the sea as a body of water, as a as a kind of you know as a thing, having spent so much time on it and with the the crew of this of this ship? Uh, oui, parce que moi je n'ai pas du tout grandi au bord de la mer. Je viens de Lyon, c'est plutôt près des montagnes. Je suis pas, je, j'ai j'ai pas de rapport à la mer, sinon à une fascination, mais de de loin. Et le voyage m'a permis de l'expérimenter physiquement. J'ai été très malade, <rire> voilà. Mais ça, mais ça a changé ma perspective parce que physiquement, j'ai j'ai vécu ça à l'intérieur de mon corps en fait tout ce temps long aussi. So she, she didn't grow up with the, the the sea or the ocean at all. She's from Lyon near the mountains. Uh, so all she had for the sea, her only relationship was one of fascination. And so this residency allowed her, to, or the, then the trip allowed her to deepen her um, her familiarity with it. And she also got very sick, so that was a real experience of the sea. And uh, je voulais offre, encore une fois, encore une fois, ce que vous avez dit à la fin. Mmh, oui, oui, en tout cas, que c'est une expérience physique, une expérience dans dans le corps, et ça, c'est vraiment ce qui a changé. Okay, so it was a physical experience, a bodily experience, and that's what really changed. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you. One of the things I think in the book that's really good is. Um, when I, I kind of wrote a review about it uh, on a, my Instagram account is I think one thing you do really well is as well as the kind of, I'd say like the interior, the kind of the inner 
um, world of the characters is you also covered really beautifully the kind of I guess the the like the physical you know the external elements between the 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 crew of the ship and you know them uh, swimming in the water, them watching the weather change, you know, uh, and that kind of thing. So you can definitely you definitely get that sense of the physicality of of it through through reading the story. Um, so you said you normally write for the theatre. So is is this your first book? Oui, c'est mon premier roman. J'ai des pièces de théâtre publiées et des livres de poésie. C'est la première fois que je développe un roman. Yeah, it's her first novel. She's written plenty of uh, um, plays and plenty of poetry. And in fact, I think it's Mariette. It's two books of poetry you have, right? Two books of poetry. Uh, okay. Yes, yes. And then many books of many plays uh, that were published as books. Okay. Um, how did you find the the writing process then compared to writing a play, writing poetry? Because you know the the pose is is quite poetic at times, you know. Um, and I've, I've seen other reviews and and publicity say that. But how did you find writing a novel compared to? writing for theatre, writing, you know, writing poetry. J'ai trouvé plus de liberté, mais peut-être parce que j'ai pris 9 ans, j'ai pris le temps. Alors, pour moi, c'était comme c'était un terrain nouveau et que j'avais pas de contraintes ni de dates pour rendre le texte, j'ai vraiment pu explorer et ça, c'était merveilleux. So she, uh, she found that there was more um, freedom because maybe because she spent nine years on the, on the writing, right? Um, but that she, um, she had, uh, I'm just reading my notes that I can't read now. <laughs> so it, it was a new terrain for her, but she found that it was one with fewer constraints. Okay, and you obviously you had the, the notes from kind of nine years previously, but how long, once you kind of started the project, how long did it take to complete kind of from start to finish? Je ne saurais pas compter parce que, par exemple, je l'ai écrit en 2016, j'ai passé deux mois enfermée à, à écrire ça, et ensuite je l'ai laissé pendant trois ans et repris. Voilà, il y a eu des grandes pauses comme ça. Donc, mi bout à bout, j'ai peut-être écrit pendant six mois ou un an, mais étalé sur un long temps. That's, that's amazing Uh, so in 2016, she, she locked herself away and spent two months on it and then, then let that sit for three years and then went back to it again and finally like put it into final form. So in total, maybe six months, but spread out over, over a long time. Oui, parce que j'avais mon travail de théâtre qui consiste à beaucoup de, de commandes, donc des textes que je devais rendre pour des metteurs en scène. Et puis j'ai eu un enfant aussi, donc j'ai arrêté euh, ce projet pendant voilà, quelques années. Yeah, so she, she, for the theater, you work on, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, some, somebody not orders a text, but... Um, like a commission? Right. Yeah, a commission. Yeah. Somebody commissions a text and you have to do it, right? You've got a deadline, you have to do it. So that kept on, she kept on having texts to write for the theater and then she had a child. And so the, all of that, that's a lot. Ah, because I was about to ask why why the long break, but that that makes sense now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can get that. And I guess I'm guessing then during um, lockdown, like you said, it was completed during lockdown. I guess that gave you the time then to return to it while you know the world was kind of on pause, I suppose. Et ça, ça fait écho avec ce que j'avais déjà écrit de ce bateau qui s'arrête. Et je pense que ça m'a donné l'énergie de revenir et de retrouver le fil, de dire. Euh, que j'avais déjà commencé à écrire quelque part le monde qui s'arrête et qui fait une pause. Donc ça, voilà, c'était le bon moment pour terminer. Yeah, it was like the, the lockdown echoed the narrative basically, where you know you're you're all together on this boat and the world basically stops. It's just right. It's just what's there and nothing around you. And so maybe the lockdown was the, the right moment in that sense to to finish the book because of this kind of structural similarity yeah no i can i can see that um out of, out of interest what would you say are the kind of the main themes of the book because i think there's there's quite a lot it's quite a small book uh you know it's it's about 150 pages i think around there or thereabouts um but it there's a lot in there so what would you say 
without kind of giving too much of the plot away, what would you say were the kind of main themes you were trying to address through the book? Les thèmes principaux, oui, c'est ça. C'est les. Oui. Euh, je crois que je cherche toujours quelque part à parler de liberté, de comment on, on peut sortir d'un chemin, d'une route qui est toute tracée, comment on peut euh, s'échapper un petit peu du. Des, des obligations du, du temps accéléré. So, uh, freedom would be one of the main ones, and especially like how to get off the beaten track, right? Kind of do something else, not just follow what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then escape, basically escaping obligation, um, existing in that different space where you're not always just responding to obligation. Je, ouais, le rapport au temps peut-être est important. J'aime bien. Même si c'est un texte court, euh, dans l'écriture, essayer de ralentir le temps un petit peu. Yeah, the relationship to time, and then in, in writing, trying to slow down time. That's another big theme of the book. Yeah, because it, it, it's um, you do get that sense of, like you say, they're, they're, they're on this bow, the kind of, you know, the, the duration of, of, well, parts of the journey is covered. Um, but I, I, I don't know if, if you, because I think sometimes writers, you know, they, they write a book and they put it out there and people read it. I mean, I, I found in some ways it was kind of a love story to the sea, but also between, without giving too much away, some of the characters, and then there was the captain and her father. So I, I don't know if you could maybe see how people could see it as various love stories, for want of a better expression, within there as well. Mm. Oui, c'est vrai. Je... Je me suis dit ça. Il y a des livres que j'ai écrits avec de la colère et celui-là, il est écrit avec de l'amour. C'est vrai. Je me suis dit ça aujourd'hui. Um... Yeah, there are books. She's written books in anger, but this one was really written with love. She just, just today, she said that to herself. Et, oui, j'avais envie de, de douceur et de tendresse dans ce livre parce que... On peut facilement imaginer sur un bateau avec des femmes, un homme qui est de la, la tension, de la violence, euh, des histoires un peu, on peut tomber dans des thrillers et quelque chose de, de très violent. Et j'avais envie de détourner ça et de faire autre chose et de d'imaginer de l'amitié, voire de l'amour entre ces marins. So she um, she wanted to write it with a lot of gentleness and a lot of tenderness because it's easy to imagine. On a boat, that you'd have a lot of tension and a lot of violence, and it would almost be the atmosphere of a thriller. Um, and this, she, she wanted to like, kind of turn that around, turn around those expectations, and uh, in a way, make it about friendship. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, you can definitely see there's the the kind of camaraderie between the the shipmates. Um, yeah, there's definitely that sense of, of uh, togetherness on on the boat. Um, one thing as well I wanted to ask is, um, you know, all the characters, there's no names, you know, they and um, there's even kind of sort of a ghost story maybe going on through it as well. Uh, so I just wondered um, to what extent were you leaving the names out? Was that to kind of leave a sense of mystery with this sort, sort of ghost story going on as well in uh, through part of the story? Alors, c'est une question qui, qui m'est très souvent posée et que je n'avais pas forcément anticipé. Euh, et en fait, dans l'écriture, j'ai essayé de donner des prénoms aux personnages et ça ne marchait pas. Ça, ça devenait un autre genre de, de livre, plus psychologique. Euh, je sais pas, euh, un, oui. Oui, je vais traduire ça. Euh, euh, Yeah, she wanted to, she started out by giving first names and it just didn't work. Um, yeah, it, it just didn't work. So she realized she had to do something else. Oui, parce qu'un prénom, c'est vraiment très marqué d'une nationalité, d'une génération, d'un du, milieu social. Et j'avais envie que ces personnages, chacun puisse se les représenter comme il le souhaite. C'est la commandante, c'est les marins. Yeah, because uh, names are always marked by They, they, they're markers, basically, right, of nationality, of provenance, etc. And she wanted to have the characters represent themselves as they wanted. Voilà, plus, c'est vrai que j'ai été surprise quand le livre est sorti, que beaucoup de lecteurs se sont attachés aux personnages, me posaient des questions sur elles, 
Alors que moi, au théâtre, j'ai plus l'habitude de travailler des figures que des personnages qui aient vraiment une, une existence psychologique. Alors, je n'avais pas l'habitude qu'on m'en parle comme si elle existait vraiment, en fait. That's, okay, this is good. Let me give this a shot. This is going to be hard. When the book first came out, a lot of readers were asking her about this particular character of the captain and found that they really kind of bonded with the captain. And this was strange for Mariette because usually working in the theater, they work with, let's say, certain types more than characters. And there's this entire psychological aspect in the novel that at least, if I understand correctly, she's not used to writing. Um, it, maybe it'll come out in the play, but it's, it's not there in the mm -hmm. writing. It, it, yes, do I understand yes, um... right? Ce qui m'intéresse, c'est vraiment euh, cette femme avec ce groupe d'hommes. Euh, voilà, c'est cette situation en fait. Yeah. So what interests her is really this woman with this group of men and what what arises from this situation. Okay, because the am I right in thinking the the ship you spent time on was the a female captain on that ship? Uh, I don't know. Vous aviez la, la résidence, est-ce que la, la capitaine c'était une femme? Non, <laughs> ça c'est la fiction. En fait, je crois que j'ai commencé à écrire vraiment une fiction quand j'ai décidé que c'était une femme qui serait commandante. Interesting. Okay, so uh, it was at the point when she decided that the... So that part's entirely fiction, and it was at the point when she decided that the captain was a woman uh, that she really started to write the novel and even un, a novel. Ah, okay. Des fois, je dis que c'est presque de la science-fiction aussi, <laughs> même s'il y a des femmes commandantes. Okay, sometimes she thinks it's, it's, it's almost science fiction, even if there are female captains. Oh, because there's, there's so few of them, I suppose? Yes. Um, et puis c'était un choix vraiment d'avoir un personnage féminin central euh, parce que j'ai pris conscience euh, il y a quelque temps que moi j'ai grandi qu'avec des personnages principaux masculins, qu'avec des héros, euh, des hommes dans la littérature et au cinéma et, et j'ai pris conscience un peu du manque de personnages féminins qui ne soient pas des stéréotypes ou euh, qui reproduisent pas des choses euh, qu qu qui sont déjà vues, qui sont déjà écrites. Donc j'avais envie d'écrire une femme euh, normale entre guillemets, qui est une femme qui a des, un travail, des responsabilités. As a part of what went into the choice too was that she grew up with characters who were primarily male, right? The heroes of in literature and in film and um, She wanted to change that a bit, so she wanted to have a, a woman, but a normal woman, um, who would be the central figure in this in this narrative. Oh, cool! Because it is—it's quite interesting. Like you say, you—I um, don't—I mean, when any boats I've been on, of from what I can remember, it's normally been a male captain. So it was quite interesting to read uh, and having a female captain. But you, I think, as well, you address. Um, the fact that maybe she has to work harder to gain the respect of her male peers and, and that kind of thing. So that was that was really interesting to see in the book as well. Um, now, as I said before, it's it's quite a short book. Um, did you, like, how did you know when it was finished? Because, you know, did you write more and edit it down? Uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's lots of kind of themes going on. So um, was it difficult? Did, did you try, I'm trying to think of how to express this, Like how, yeah, how much kind of editing and drafting went into it, and and did you write quite a lot more than is in it? You know, was quite a lot taken out. Uh, oui, j'ai écrit plus, uh, mais je, souvent mon travail c'est de, de couper, de réduire pour que pour qu'il y ait une, une économie de de, de l'écriture et, et ça c'est peut-être ce qui vient du théâtre ou, ou de la poésie de pas avoir de, de mots en trop. Et après, je savais que c'était fini parce que je, je me suis dit qu'il fallait qu'ils qu qu arrivent au, à la terre, au bord d'Acosté, et que c'était. Voilà, sinon je repartais pour une, un autre <laughs> roman. Ok, so, um, yeah, she wrote more than what's there now. Um, and the, a lot of the work that went into it was that of cutting stuff out. Um, 
um, so, so as to arrive at a certain economy of writing. Uh, given her background in theater and poetry, right, you have far fewer words to work with. And so that's part of what, in, what went into that, that work that's normal for her. And then in the end, part of what ended it is just that, they, that the journey has to end, right? They arrive at, on land and that's, that's it. <laughs> okay. Um, and once you finished it, um, how, because I believe, obviously, it's, um, you know, it's been translated into English and it's come out soon, but it's been, it's been out in French for a, a, a while, hasn't it? A few years, I think. Mm-hmm. Two years, yeah. So how how did the uh, the English translation come about in terms of working with Corey Eloise Press? How did they contact you about translating it? Um, and you know how did you guys end up working together? Um, ça s'est fait par la maison les maisons d'édition en fait se sont rencontrées. Euh, nous on on, avec Corey on, on se rencontre euh, la semaine prochaine ouais. pour de vrai. Mais on, 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 voilà on a échangé simplement par mail mais. C'est les maisons d'édition qui ont travaillé ensemble. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all between the publishing houses. Um, and I ended up sending. So Marriott was just saying, yeah, it's the it's the publishing houses that decide that, um, right? The English language or whatever language has to buy the the rights in that language from the French publisher. And Marriott and I, I, this is the first time I actually speak to her even over video. We've only exchanged emails to this point and I'll meet her next week in, in London. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, if you want, I can elaborate on that, like how it came about. Do you want me to? Well, I mean, I was, uh, I, I just read the book. I, I read it uh, in the context. I, I taught the book. Do you, Dave, do you know the Alliance Francaise? No, no. Okay, it's this, they're all over the world and they're basically French language and culture schools. And there's one where I live in Minneapolis, and uh, I was giving a literature course at this Alliance Francaise, and I decided to teach Mariette's novel, and I liked it so much that I, you know, I was already working as a translator. So then, basically, what you do as a translator, you put together a pitch, which is basically a, sam a translation sample of however many thousand words, and then a uh, a summary of the book and you start sending it to publishers and Heloise Press liked it and ended up contacting the French um, publisher uh, Quidam and uh, and they so I don't know the details of the deal <laughs> but uh, Ina ended up Ina from from Heloise ended up buying the English language rights and then contracted me to do the translation and then throughout, Mariette was really nice responding to my... Because, Dave, as you said, it's very poetic. And sometimes, I mean, a given phrase could mean four or five things, right? And Mariette was very generous responding to my many questions <laughs> about, you know, the meaning of this or that phrase. Okay. I mean, how, how did you feel, Mariette, when obviously, um, because it's the publisher who, uh, you know, let... Um, Worked, you know, uh, with Corey to, you know, to agree for to him to translate it. Whereas I've seen um, other translators who kind of seem to have an established relationship with some authors now. So I'm just thinking of some of the the Latin American translators, like Sophie Hughes has done quite a few uh, people from Argentina and, and places like that. So I mean, how how much input did you have into the translation, or is it all just in Corey's hands? And obviously, you you give him some support. Um, I guess as well, um, yeah, how did you feel kind of entrusting your novel to someone to put it in another language? Uh, C'est passionnant, vertigineux. Moi, j'ai répondu aux questions, mais j'interviens pas du tout parce que je me permettrais pas, il faudrait que je maîtrise vraiment euh, la langue euh, et je maîtrise pas assez l'anglais euh, pour, pour avoir un avis... Euh, littéraire <rire> sur sur, sur l'anglais donc c'est vraiment euh, c'est une grande confiance dans les traducteurs et une grande admiration du, de ce travail parce que c'est les meilleurs lecteurs du monde <rire> les, tra les traducteurs nice <rire> uh, ok so um, she didn't really intervene that much she, she found it very interesting without intervening other than responding to questions and so forth just because right I mean um, 
she she doesn't live in the language, right? She speaks English, but doesn't really live in the language to the degree where she'd be giving input all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it I mean, it's an enormous trust, she said, that you have to put into the translator. And then she said it's a, a great admiration because we're the best readers in the world, which is very nice of uh, <laughs> Marriott to say. And what's fascinating is that le livre est traduit aussi en allemand, en italien, en espagnol. Et chaque traducteur me pose des questions parce que chaque langue a sa logique qui n'est pas la même que le français. Alors, ça m'apprend sur ma propre langue. Par exemple, ça m'apprend que le français est parfois très flou. Nous, on a un mot qui veut dire plusieurs choses. On peut faire des choses poétiques un peu vastes. Mais dans d'autres langues, il faut choisir un sens. Interesting. Um, so there are other translations as well, uh, German, Italian, Spanish, and I'll just do a little editorializing here. Mariette didn't say this, but the Italian translation just won a prize. Mariette's just back from Italy to receive this prize. So that's pretty exciting. After, after the many prizes it already won in French. So that's, uh, yeah. that's really cool. Ah, fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, but each of these languages has its own structure. And so different questions arise, right? Um, it's not the, and She said it, it makes you learn a little bit about your own language. It, it makes her learn a bit more even about French. And um, specifically the fact here that, it's, uh, that French compared to these other languages is uh, maybe a bit more fluid and blurry even than the other languages, um, kind of malleable and uh, less structured, almost less formed, because in the other, right, in French, maybe there are um, several ways of saying things, where in these other languages, translators are asking her about what the one correct way of, right, a single phrase in her book would, could mean many possible things, mm. and in, I mean, I, yeah, in these other languages, including English, more editorializing, um, we'd really have to find the one signification, maybe um, more editorializing, maybe dropping some of the richness of the French text because that's that got all these other kind of uh, what's the word suggestions going on mm. oui c'est un, un, un regard il y, a, il y a un regard forcément donc c'est ouais, il faut faire confiance parce que de toute façon ça, ça sera un nouveau texte euh, et c'est ouais, c'est formidable <laughs> yeah each, each translator has uh, his or her own like gaze upon the text And you have to, she said, you have to have confidence in the translator because it's an, essentially a new text that's going to emerge. And it's wonderful. Okay, and just on, on to some questions for you, Corey, about your, your sort of path into translation. So how did you, obviously, you're, you're fluent enough in French to be able to translate a, a book from French. So what's your background in learning French and, and how did you get into translating uh, as a job? Uh, that's a good Okay, learning French. Okay, I had French lessons in high school. I grew up in Canada, and so. Um, uh, I, I did yeah. wonder. I did. I did wonder if you were Canadian. Oh or yeah, American. yeah. Yeah, I live in the United States. My my wife's American, but I grew up in Canada, and so we we get French lessons in school. Um, and, but my, I mean, at, by the end of high school, I mean it's a bit of a cliche in in Canada. The the French, the native French speakers learn quite good English. The native English speakers don't always learn very good French. I, I moved to Quebec when I was 20. Uh, that's when I really learned. Um, and then in terms of getting into, so, and then I've been little by little improving since, you know, the, back in 19, back when I moved to Quebec. Um, <laughs> and uh, in terms of getting into translation, I was, uh, I, I worked as an academic for uh, quite a while and um, was looking to get out of it and was thinking about other stuff I could do. And I, a translation just kind of fell into my lap and I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was, you know, the hardest thing I'd ever done, <laughs> the first thing you translate. But then they liked it. I, I think they thought I was a pretty serious person. So that publisher kept on sending me more translations and I got some other contracts and so... Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not that experienced as a translator. I've been doing it for probably three or four years or something like that. But yeah, it's, I really love it. 
Okay, so it it wasn't, I'm, I'm guessing as well, it wasn't a case of, you know, um, I think sometimes people get into speaking a language, don't they, because they fall in love with the literature of it. You know, they might yeah. read some Russian literature and then learn Russian. So it wasn't anything like that. It was just basically you grew up in Canada, you get taught it because of, you know, the French-Canadian population. Um, and then that's kind of how you got into it as a job then. Yeah, I mean, I, I moved to Montreal. I liked Montreal more than where I was living. I wanted to stay. If you want to stay in Montreal, you got to learn French. And so I, I did just because I really liked the city. So that was, that was kind of it. And how have you found the, you know, the translation thing? Because obviously, you know, you and I were saying uh, earlier before we started recording that, you know, and you said you had to kind of cut down some of the richness of the text. Um, so, yeah, how do you find translating from uh, French to English, you know, are, are there times, you know, you said you had to speak to Mariette about what certain words meant. Um, yeah, how do you find it? And do you think there are any kind of difficulties in translating French in particular to English? Yeah, that's a tough one. Okay, I'm going to give a more concrete answer maybe than I usually give, but one thing you can do in French is you can join... I'm going to make it sound like German, but you can make quite long sentences just with commas. The comma, I feel like, has a, a more, in a way, a richer place because a less defined place. Right? In English, it's the whole thing of independent clauses, right? You can't have, you can't join independent clauses with a comma, <laughs> as you learn. And, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> and so Mariette has these, I mean, you've read the David's, I mean, you're, you're reading of the novel. I can tell just by the way you've discussed it, you've read it very closely. And so you can tell that it's almost that the novel forms a kind of dreamscape, right? And one, one of the things that happens in dreams is something happens and then something else happens, then something else. And they don't have to be related necessarily. So that's the work of the comma, right? This and this and this and this and this. English doesn't let you do that. You can't just throw commas in, right? So that was a, right? So I was constantly asking myself, how do I remain faithful to this kind of dreamlike quality while having this choppiness kind of imposed on me sometimes? So that was a big challenge. Okay, and out of interest, because you know you said before um, you taught the book, how did you come across it then? Um, because I'm, I'm assuming you were in were you in Canada or America at the time? I was in, yeah, I was in the United States. I was in Minneapolis. Yeah. So how did you come across this book? You know, written in French over in the states. How, how did it get into your hands? Yeah, I don't know if I should admit this, but um, so I, I was supposed to teach four novels in this course, right? And I had two, and I needed two more. And I couldn't just go to my local bookstore and look through the new offerings because there is no local French bookstore where I live, right? And so I went, on I went online, and I, uh, I subscribed to a French newspaper, and I just went to their book section, read some reviews. There was a fantastic review from Mariette's book, and I thought, let's do this one. So I'd never read it before, before that course. I read it along with the students that I, thankfully it was, it was during lockdown and it was an online just kind of discussion course. I, I wasn't expected to have absolute mastery, have to have read it three times, right? That was just kind of a discussion class. Like, what did you think? This was really interesting. So that's how it came about. Fantastic. So literally all this is just by sheer dumb luck. Yep. How we're having this conversation today. Yep. That's fantastic. Um, and, and just out of interest, because I know also you teach uh, comparative literature, you were saying to me again before we started recording. Yeah. Um, so what, what kind of, um, is that, so obviously I assume you're teaching English slash American literature because you're based in the States. So what are the kind of uh, countries do you teach from? Is it mainly French and French speaking, I'm guessing, because of your French speaking, French speaking background? Well, no, it depends what I'm doing. So, for example, this past semester, I taught a course. It was just, it was just called Introduction to Literature. And it's for first-year students. Just to, and, and basically, the aim is just to get a selection, a kind of, just a selection of some of the really good texts that have been written uh, over the last 2,500 years. <laughs> so, you can imagine, right? 
there's not there's only so much you can do in 15 weeks but i just uh I, yeah i mean for a course like that for instance i'm trying to get the students really to the point where they're loving literature and are really interested in literature and so i just chose texts that were at once canonical and, but also that I really loved. So we started with Sophocles, and we went to Shakespeare. We read Virginia Woolf. We read some Melville. Uh, we read some. Um, we read a bit of Kafka, and we finished off with an American fellow named Percival Everett. I don't know if you've uh, if you know his work. Yeah, is is that the trees? Yeah, I think? Is exactly. It's not the minute. Yeah, I've, I've seen that doing the rounds. He's phenomenal. Uh, and so that, like I said, it was mostly. You know, so I, to really create a situation where the students were at once learning, because all of those texts are phenomenal texts, right? And yet still enjoying the, you know, thinking about how reading literature at a university level doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be a form of drudgery, right? Um, so that's, that's basically what I'm trying to do in those courses. Yeah, my, my wife studied English literature at university here. And um, she said, yeah, she found it could be quite dry. It was a lot of, you know, this is this is how you should read this text. This is how you should read it. And it kind of, I mean, she reads not as, as much as I do now, but um, I think it kind of almost killed her love of, of reading for a bit because she felt, you know, it was done in a fairly sort of heavy and, and academic way. Uh, I just, to go back to Mariette, um, another question for you. Um, obviously, you've had, you know, this is your first novel. It's won various awards. Uh, you know, the French version, the Italian one, as, as Corey said. Um, are you planning to write any more novels or are you going to stick to the poetry in the theatre? Uh, oui, j'essaye d'écrire un, un autre roman. Ça m'a donné envie de, de continuer à explorer cette forme-là, justement, qui se déploie un peu plus, de, de prendre le temps de raconter une autre histoire. Et j'espère ne pas mettre neuf ans, <laughs> mais un peu moins. <laughs> Euh, je commence quelque chose, mais c'est très difficile parce que, comme je parle beaucoup d'ultramarin encore, j'ai du mal à, à ne pas comparer ce que je suis en train d'écrire, à ne pas penser à la réception, alors que je n'y avais pas du tout pensé pour le premier. Ok, donc, oui, elle est en train de second novel. Maintenant, um, avec le succès de ce et la bonne réception, elle veut explorer the form a bit more, the form of the novel, which she's, you know, she hasn't done in her, in her poetry, in her plays. Um, she hopes she doesn't spend nine years on this one. She hopes it'll be done sooner than nine years. Um, and part of the challenge is to, is because she's still talking quite a bit about ultramarine. And so how do you focus on this new one without having your head in the other one, right? How can you get to the point where you're exploring something new and really taking on something new. Uh, so that's one of the, yeah, that's one of her, uh, her challenges. Et il sera très différent parce que forcément ça ne va pas se passer en mer, c'est beaucoup plus, ça sera en ville, c'est plus autour du, du monde du travail. Du, donc voilà, ça, ça me fait très très peur parce que j'ai peur de, de décevoir <laughs> une attente <laughs> De, de lecteurs qui ont aimé les, les grands espaces et les paysages d'ultramarin. Okay, so this one's very different. It doesn't take place anywhere near the sea. It takes place in a city and in the world of work. And so she's um, she's a bit scared of um, disappointing readers because she feels like the readers have developed a certain expectation of these great spaces and so forth. And this second novel isn't anything like that. Okay. And, um, you know, Corey said um, before, you know, you're obviously talking about Ultramarine now with the English translation. I know you're coming over to London, aren't you, to talk about it um, fairly shortly. And so you're trying to balance that with, um, you know, working on this second novel and being a parent. I know you've got a, a child. And also, um, are, you, are you still doing your theatre work as well? And so, and if so, you know, how, how do you f try and make time for writing this new novel with everything else going on? Um, C'est une vraie question qui est aussi, je pense, séparée dans tous les pays, mais la question du, du statut des auteurs, comment gagner sa vie, <laughs> comment trouver un, un équilibre. Moi, je continue à avoir quelques activités de théâtre, mais moins. Euh, 
je travaille avec une chorégraphe, j'interviens aussi dans une école de théâtre avec des, des élèves dramaturges. Euh, mais voilà, c'est un équilibre que je n'ai pas, pas la solution magique. Parfois, j'arrive à libérer du temps et parfois pas du tout. Great. OK. So, uh, yeah, this is one of the, the, the whole status of authors is a question that right, people in every country have to ask because, um, right, how do, you, how do you basically make ends meet? How do you make a living? Um, so she's doing some theater activities right now. Uh, she's also working a little bit with a choreographer, and she's uh, she teaches a bit of uh, Marietta, if I understand correctly. You teach a bit of drama in schools, in schools, yeah. Mm. Dans une école de théâtre. Ah, okay. Oui. Sorry, she teaches a little bit. In, so, but you teach you you're teaching the writing of drama in the theater school. Okay, teaching oui. a, the oui. writing of drama in a theater school. Um, but yeah, the, there's no magic solution. It's just a question of improvising to try to you know make time okay and um do you do you when you have the time to write um do you have a particular routine or um, or is it as as Corey was just saying is it a case of as and when you can given your other sort of work commitments um alors j'ai pas vraiment de routine parce que j'arrive pas à écrire trop très régulièrement avec tout ça mais par contre, ce qui est important, c'est le lieu d'écriture. Euh, avant d'avoir un enfant, je partais justement en résidence. J'écrivais hors de chez moi. Il y a des lieux qui accueillent des auteurs, parfois même qui nous payent pour écrire pendant un mois, deux mois, en dehors de chez nous. Et maintenant, je ne peux plus vraiment faire ça. Alors, j'ai ma solution, c'est que j'ai mon bureau à Paris, à un quart d'heure de chez moi, mais qui est une... Euh, voilà, ma chambre à, à moi, <rire> euh, pour, euh, pour avoir un espace où je peux ne pas penser à autre chose. So, um, uh, so she doesn't have a routine per se, because she can't write regularly, in the sense of she's got all these other things that are taking up her time, um, right? But for her, what's really important is the place where she writes. That's the big thing. So the way she dealt with that before, before she had a child, uh, was she, she would do a lot of residencies. There are a lot of residencies available for writers. Sometimes they'll even pay you and you can go to these places, often really interesting places, and work. Uh, now that's not possible. Um, but what she has instead is an office in Paris, uh, close only about 15 minutes from where she lives. Um, and it's suspended a place where she can go so as not to have to think of anything else. She can just focus on what she's doing. And out of interest, Corey, because I know you're currently in France, a uh, translator's residence, you were telling me earlier. Um, yeah, how about you? What's your kind of, uh, do you find you need a, a sort of a particular space to to do your job? You know, how, when you were translating the novel, actually one thing I've not asked you about is how long did that take? And again, how did you fit that in with other translation work you were doing, your teaching commitments, etc. Yeah, the, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know how Mariette's going to feel about this, but uh, that, the novel was really hard. <laughs> That's how the novel was. So what did I do? I kind of, I had to keep doing the teaching commitments because it was during the academic year. Uh, but I told, I, I had other, I had two other translation contracts coming up. And I just told both of the editors that it was going to, um, you know, the, the deadlines they had asked for, I wasn't going to be able to meet them. Uh, and so if they wanted to, you know, somebody else, that was fine. And both of them, luckily, they weren't in a total rush. And so that was fine. Yeah. And in terms of the space, I mean, I just, I have a desk set up, uh, just in my apartment. I just work in my apartment. Uh, I, uh, I find with translation, there's something weird about translation where it, what really matters is the hours, like you really... If I try to go somewhere, then I've lost time. I need like a certain number of hours every day. And if I don't have all those hours, by the end of the day, I feel like I haven't really gotten enough done. So not, I don't know. Maybe this is a common complaint. but And yeah, so that's what I do. And then, and then in terms of where I am now, yeah, there's a translator's residency in the south of France where uh, Mariette gave a presentation there, what, like six weeks ago, maybe? And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a very nice place. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it's a, there are 10 of us translators and we just sit around and make bad translation jokes and, um, and do a lot of work. It's great. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And yeah, how long did it take um, to translate Ultramarine? Oh, uh, first draft, a couple of months, I guess. And then, um, but afterward, there was still a lot of work to be done. The novel was edited by a translator, of, uh, a, an accomplished translator, who, uh, who was reading both the English and the French and had a lot of input. And, uh, you know, uh, it's the, the, the translation, because of the work she, I mean, I learned from the work she did. And then, and the translation ended up changing a fair amount because of that work. So okay, and and how did you find that process of because the guess you know it's written in French, you're translating it to English, and then someone who's fluent in both languages is well as you are is kind of saying well actually yeah. no, I mean were, were there any <laughs> any instances of kind of disagreements or of you know over certain things anything like that? Yeah, big time. I mean, I could see how it would be a an issue. But one, she's cool, so she was she was just cool, right? She was firm, but you know, had a good sense of how far to push. And then two, when when we would have a, there were a few disagreements where we just didn't agree, and then we generally went with my way of thinking about things because in the end it was going to be my name on the translation, right? So, uh, and then Ina, uh, the the publisher at Heloise Press. Uh, Ina Marti, she also um, she also had a lot of interesting comments, and that changed the the translation for the better, I think, as well. Okay, because I mean, one thing I guess this is more probably a question for Corey than Mariette, but Mariette as well. Um, so obviously, when when something is translated, um, how much of the author's original intent, whatever you want to call it, do you think is still in the finished product, given? You know, as you said, Corey, Mariette wrote it, you translated it, an editor put their imprint on it, the publisher had a say in it. So, you know, whereas obviously with um, with novels, normally it's author writes in their language, might be edited, that's it. So, you know, how, how much of Mariette's original intention do you think is, is still left in the novel after it's been translated? I, I guess people will have to judge, but I hope all of it or as much of it as possible because uh i mean my whole job is just to convey what she said and her sentiments um the issue is right i mean in english english just isn't french so it's going to be something different but i you know my whole the entire endeavor was to try to find a way of having her voice resonate in english right having being able to hear her voice in english even if she's not you know, even if she obviously wrote it in French. So yeah, I hope it's all there, but somebody else will have to decide. Moi, j'ai eu l'impression de reconnaître le le rythme, en tout cas la musique, enfin en lisant en anglais, bien sûr dans une autre langue, mais j'ai quand même reconnu ma petite musique. Oh great! So Marriott said she had the impression that when she was reading the the, the English, she could recognize her own rhythms and the the flow of her own novel, and that. Uh, she yeah she was able to hear her her uh, her little music in the English so that's great to hear I'm happy about that. Oh, fun, fantastic and I mean obviously you so you've read it in English um so what you know so how good is your English reading and I guess you know it's been translated into Italian and Spanish and was it German as well I think so I imagine you. You know, I, I could be wrong, but I imagine you're not fluent in all of these languages. Um, but what was it like reading it in a different language and seeing your words in a different in English? How, how did that make you feel? Um, alors, la particularité, c'est que moi, je suis uh, je, je suis hispanophone. Je parle espagnol depuis que je suis enfant. Donc, c'est la seule langue où j'ai vraiment uh, uh, pu avoir une relecture plus de détails et moi poser des questions au traducteur et par contre en anglais en allemand et en italien en italien je l'ai jamais appris l'allemand je l'ai appris mais à l'école euh, <rire> je, je me suis pas permise de et, et l'anglais je le comprends mais euh, comme je disais pas, pas assez pour euh, pour moi remarquer des choses ou je, je, je le reconnais je le comprends mais l'espagnol j'ai pu euh, euh, me, me 
poser la question des, des, des faux amis, des expressions que je me posais pas dans les autres langues. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so, uh, so Mariette is a, uh, a native Spanish speaker. Um, I mean, not native Spanish speaker. She's French, but she grew up speaking Spanish in her family, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Okay, so she's French, grew up speaking Spanish. So that's the language, that's, the la that's really the only language that she can look at things in a great amount of detail. And there she really was able to look at the translation and really get a sense for, she could really look at the language, get a sense for, you know, question whether, may, you know, be able to question even the, the, the translator's decisions on so-called false friends, as we call them, right? Words that look the same from one language to another, but are actually quite different. Uh, but with the others, less so, right? I mean, she's, uh, she didn't learn Italian. English she had at school, but, or sorry, German she had at school. And then English she can, she can speak, but with these languages, it's not enough to notice the same things that she's able to notice in Spanish, with which she has a much closer relationship. Donc dans ces langues-là, c'est plus, comme je disais, la, la musique, le rythme, j'ai plus senti ça que le... Peut-être la nuance de sens, ça je ne pouvais pas. So with English, it was more the music and the rhythm than the real nuances of meaning that she was able to read when she read the, the English. And, and out of interest, Corey, how do you feel when you see, because am, am I right in saying you actually haven't had the, the physical book yet, have you? Or have you no, I don't have it. I've got, the, I've, I've got the French in front of me here. I, I feel I feel privileged. I, I have it before you. But I, I mean, I assume you'll be given a copy when you're over here soon. Hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you've you've done other translations. So how how do you feel seeing your name as well? Because obviously it's not your in inverted commas work. You know, in terms of you've not wrote the book, but you know, do you? How do you feel when you see uh, a work you translated? You know, the physical copy of it out in the world. I mean, it's elating, but it's scary because um, I mean, I think of myself like I can be pretty brutal with people's translations you know maybe if i haven't eaten enough that day or something like that uh and so anybody could do that with mine as well and you could always make a mistake right i mean the good thing about working with Ina at, at eloise is that there are so many eyes on the text that i'm pretty confident that there aren't any major gap but um yeah i mean it's It's scary still. It's, it's at once, you know, it, it's, it, it's a very kind of passionate experience, but scary as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I've, you know, I've seen people online say, oh, this is the definitive translation of, of this book, you know, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, whatever, um, Voltaire, you know, whatever, whatever kind of language. I just wondered as well, is there anything, you know, you've, you've read the book in the French and you've translated it. Even with you being the translator, Do you think there's anything people who are reading it in English are missing out on by not reading it in the original French, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, certain turns of phrase that are very... Mariette is a very uh, elegant writer. Um, and so to reproduce that... There's, there's one place toward the end of the novel. I, I mean, I'm not going to give it away. But um, the captain comes face to face. I, you know, I'm going to... She has a conversation. She has a conversation. Yeah. Um, and she, um, yeah, she has a conversation with somebody. And their conversation, it's just, there's a turn of phrase that in French is just stunning. It's just uh, not because it stands out, because it says so much in so little words. It's the most elegant thing you've ever seen. And so to reproduce that, I mean, I must have, tried eight different versions and had several people look at them. I think it's fine what I've done. I hope people will enjoy it, but it's not as good as Marianne's. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's like the saying, isn't it? Lost in translation, something always gets potentially lost. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, totally. And then, yeah. and just out of interest, um, so obviously, Marriott, you've know, you've you wrote this novel. Uh, you're working on a second one. Uh, are any of your poems uh, available in, in English at the moment? Euh, non, il euh, y a eu une traduction anglaise du, de mon premier livre poétique. En fait, c'est pas des, des poèmes, c'est de la prose poétique. Il euh, y a eu une traduction anglaise, mais qui n'a pas été publiée. 
Elle avait été financée par le par des gens de théâtre d'ailleurs, même si c'était le texte poétique. Et elle a, elle a pas circulé, elle n'a pas été publiée, mais c'est plus difficile, oh, je yeah. pense, de trouver des lecteurs oh. que, que les romans. I thought you were going to say it's more difficult to translate. I've read that text. That's a, that, that text would pose, pose several problems to the, to the translator. Oui, et puis après, oui, pour, aussi pour trouver un public. Uh, so she said, uh, none, of, none of her work has been published. There is an English translation of a prose poem she wrote, which was, the translation was financed uh, by a, a theater. Alors, c'est le théâtre qui a vraiment... Oui, enfin, c'était la, la SACD, la, c'est la Société des auteurs, euh, compositeurs dramatiques. En Angleterre <rire> en, okay. en, en France. So this was... En France, pour promou promouvoir les textes okay. français. So, I'll just start from, from the beginning. So, there is an English translation <rire> of one prose poem, and the translation was financed by this group of, of theater, uh, kind of theater writing umbrella group, and they promote the translation of text, for example, into English. But the translation was never published. It didn't find a publisher. Um, and so the translation exists, but not that you can go to the bookstore and buy or order. Um, that text, it's a, a bit, it would be more difficult, Mariette is musing, that it would be more difficult to find a readership for that text. It's a little bit less straightforward than the novel. Um, a bit more experimental, maybe. Oui. Et c'était mon mon premier texte aussi. C'est plus, oh, plus ancien. Oh, the, the first text you wrote? Oui, vraiment terminé et édité en France. Oh, okay. So that was the first text, really, that was published in France that she wrote. I didn't realize that. Ah, okay. Um, and are you? Uh, I'm assuming um, with your your second novel, you know, the hope is to get that translated as well into. Um, I mean, have have you um, obviously, as, as Corey was saying before, uh, Heloise Press bought the English rights to uh, Ultramarine. Um, but are you already in conversation with them about the the second novel, having it translated already, or is that you know you'll you'll get it published in French and then see what happens? Euh, oui, je pense. J'ai même pas de contrat avec mon éditeur français encore sur ce texte parce que euh, j'ai pas d'engagement. Donc, euh, je, parce que je ne voulais pas être euh, obligée d'écrire euh, quelque chose trop vite ou artificiellement. Donc, euh, voilà. Même mon éditeur français ne sait rien encore de ce texte. So, it's, very, it's at the stage, she doesn't even have a contract for the French novel. Um, because she didn't want to um, be forced to write too fast. Right, so the editor actually doesn't know anything about this novel, even even though Marriott's working on it. So that's where that novel stands now. All right, okay, and then uh, just with you, Corey, as well. What obviously, um, you know, you've you've uh, I assume you're spending a little bit of time, like you know, you come over here, aren't you, soon uh, to help publicize this book and, and to do a a live conversation with Marriott. Um, what other kind of translation projects have you got going on at the moment? Are you are you allowed to to say what you know what's next in the pipeline for you as a translator? Oh yeah, okay. So I just um, I just sent in a I just sent in a completed translation of a book by a French philosopher that will be published uh, with a, an American university press, and then I'm uh, I, I'll show you what I'm translating right now. I'm translating this while I'm in Arles. It's called, it's by this guy, Pascal Bruckner. He's a, he's a very prominent French essayist. And the book is called the, the, either The Triumph or The Consecration of Slippers. And it's, it's about the pandemic. He's arguing that all we, since the pandemic, all we want to do anymore is stay home in our slippers. And it's an absolute disaster. And it's killing our society and our public sphere. That's his argument. It's, it's very, it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting book. And then I'm, uh, yeah, I'm contracted to translate the correspondence between Albert Camus and his lover, um, oh, wow, Maria, Maria Casares. Yeah. Wow, that, that must be quite an interesting one to work on. That's interesting, and it's long. It's like 1,300 pages. So, thankfully, that's a co-translation. Right, okay. And yeah, well, yeah. That, that sounds like you've, you've got something to keep you occupied uh, oh, yeah, in yeah. terms of projects. Yeah. 
Uh, well, that's kind of all I wanted to ask you guys about today. I just want to say thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to talk to me. Really enjoyed the book. Uh, and obviously, you know, Mariette, thanks for writing it in Corey. Thanks for making it possible for me to read it in English because I, I can't read in French. Uh, you know, I, I learned some French at school and then that was, when did it fit? 24 years ago, I think the last time I kind of, you know, had to had to speak French formally. Uh, so yeah, so thanks so much guys for taking the time to, to speak to me. I hope the, uh, the trip to London goes well. Uh, and yeah, I guess it'd be nice for you guys to meet in person as well. Uh, I didn't yeah. realize that this would be your first face-to-face conversation as it were so yeah i'm, I'm quite i'm quite honored that, that we, we got to do that together so yeah thanks for your time and, and, and take care both of you thank you so much it was great talking to you so i hope you enjoyed listening to that like i said it was uh, a really unique experience i think to listening to you know mariette talking in french and Corey translating on the fly uh, so yeah i hope you found that interesting as i did uh, do check out the book Ultramarine, like we sort of discussed in our conversation. It's a really um, unique novel. It's like I say, set in this kind of semi, I don't know, it's, it's strange at times. It feels quite claustrophobic, the atmosphere on the ship. At the same time, it can also feel um, quite expansive and vast, especially when the some of the characters are out in the sea. So yeah, do check it out on Eloise Press. And yeah, hope, like I say, hope you uh, enjoy reading it if you do check it out. Uh, so yeah, that's it for today's episode. Um, I'm not going to give too much away about the next one. Um, as those of you who sort of regularly check, well, in inverted commas, regularly check out the show because I've not exactly been regularly putting out episodes recently. Uh, as, but as people will know, um, you know, I'll say, oh, I'm going to put one out in the next few weeks and then it doesn't happen. Uh, but yeah, the next one's going to be hopefully a combination episode of a publisher discussing uh, their their publishing house and then an interview with an author who's recently had a book out from that press so until then take care guys thanks for listening it's goodbye and good reading